We are turning back now towards 2 Thessalonians, where we had left off just prior to Easter. And today we're looking at a passage of Scripture in chapter 3, verse 1, down through verse 5, that helps us to weld together the idea of the Word of God with the work of God, understanding that they should never be separated from one another. We're committed in this church to biblical teaching, verse-by-verse teaching. And you will find that where there are churches that have marginalized the Word of God, somewhere along the way they no longer see the work of God available to them, making its way through them. So what we want to do is to keep God's Word central, because it's there that we understand deeply and thoroughly what it means for Christ to have entered into this world to die for our sins, and what God's plan is for you and for me, past, present, future. And so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, down through verse 5 now, as we continue this series, you and I find these words. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we commend. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So we're going to be looking into these words and trying to understand how they relate to your life and mine as we look to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, these have been some extraordinary days. We've experienced the exhilaration of uh, Easter Sunday where with the centrality of the empty tomb before us, we lifted praise to you. We go from the heights, and then we experience the emotional downward spiral. There have been coming and goings in these days where people have seized moments to pull away for spring break, many of whom are still on their way home this weekend. So in the complexities of comings and goings and of highs and of lows, what we need, Father, in the midst of all these matters is something steady, a constant, that can take the wide range of experiences and emotions and pull it all together and keep us focused upon who matters most, Jesus. And that's why we turn to you. Father, we're asking that you would guide us. We, direct, we need your direction as we look into your word. And we want this to be as practical as can be, relating truth to life. So we look around internally at the church, and we look around externally into the community. And we're asking, Father, how to take the verses that are here and relate them to where we will be. Father, in these minutes ahead, warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills, Father. We've come here again to see Jesus, 
him only. Praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. My mind went back, and I thought about how John Wycliffe and his life relates to the passage that we are examining here today. Because Wycliffe was responsible for the very first translation, the very first translation of the entire Bible into the English language. He's called the father of English prose. And he had a tremendous influence upon the thinkers of people who were coming together in the Protestant Reformation years to come. But even though Wycliffe died peacefully at home in bed on a New Year's Eve, the Roman Catholic Church, which had been so opposed to him and his efforts to put the scriptures into the common everyday hands, the church exhumed his body 44 years later, burned his bones and scattered the ashes in a nearby river because they simply did not want in in any way, shape, or form a memory of his to be able to be carried on to next generations. But they were carried on to next generations because in 1521 Martin Luther was accused of renewing the errors of Wycliffe by once again translating the scriptures, viewing them as his final authority. Wycliffe once put it this way, God's words will give men new life more than the other words that are for personal pleasure. I thought about the word of God that's found in these verses, that's tied to the work of God that flows out of these verses, And what I want to do with you is to continue working with this idea of the connections that God is making, which is exactly what Paul himself was doing as he prepped people with how the present relates to the future, that he had been teaching about the Antichrist still to come. He had been teaching, furthermore, about the second coming of Jesus Christ and the anticipation that they would have upon the way in which they live. And so what we want to do now is to continue to work with that and deal with the idea that as the God, God's word continued to spread and to develop, we'll work with two more connections here. Number one, by connecting present with future this morning, I want you to note in verses 1 and 2, I want you to note how the word of God is spread by his people Very same way that Wycliffe himself and those that followed in his train, likewise, were so burdened to put the word of God in the hearts and in the minds of people. Now, notice how this begins. Finally, brothers. Finally, brothers, pray for us. Do you have a sense of the humility here of the Apostle Paul at this point? that here is a man who is obviously praying for the Thessalonians, so powerfully and wonderfully gifted as he is. Yet at the same time, he is asking brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ that they pray for him. 
Now, if the Apostle Paul needs others to pray for him, likewise, you and I need those around us in our life groups, in our adult Bible fellowships, in the way in which we minister, whether it be in the Iwana program, in the youth ministries, and on and on. We've got to make certain that this is reciprocal. We are seeking that others pray for us as we in turn pray for them. This is how the church develops muscle and strength. Pray for us, he says, And now we ask, and what should be the reasons by which we pray? Now, he's got two requests he's going to lay before you and lay before me in the way in which you and I have got to go about praying that the word of God is being spread by his people. Now, the first request is there in verse 1. Pray for us. Why, ask, answer, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Now camp on that for a few seconds because this phrase, the word of the Lord may speed ahead, is used again and again in the way in which Paul all talks about the necessity for God's word saturating the globe with the gospel. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, he used a musical term to illustrate the idea of the spread of God's word. You musicians might be able to relate to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. Notice how it reads there, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. Stop right there. Because the phrase sounded forth was that of a trumpeter who was playing his part in a musical composition. It was also used by a trumpeter when he was announcing something that required for the edict of the emperor whoever to be heard. So that was a musical expression in chapter 1, verse 8, 1 Thessalonians. But not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, but here's the thing. Paul knew how to be able to find various ways to be able to communicate truth to various people. So he's saying, in essence, okay, if you can't relate musically, maybe you can relate athletically. And so for those that are into sports, those that can be tied into the idea athletically, he would say in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 1, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. That's the picture of a runner in the precursor to the Olympic Games known as the Isthmian Games. And here now, what we find is that runner is accelerating. He's picking up speed. He knows his objective and destination. And he wants to make his way to the finish line. That's the word picture here, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. And when you add the phrase, and be honored, that carries with it the idea that he has crossed the finish line now and he's being honored for the high level of effort that he put in in the midst of this race. Now, whether musically or athletically, what Paul now is challenging you and challenging me is to begin to ask some serious questions as to how in my own personal life and how in your own personal life experience we are equipped and furthermore engaged in the acceleration, not the isolation, but the acceleration of the spread of God's word into the minds and into the hearts of people who so desperately need 
to be able to understand who God is and what God has done at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, as Paul would have taught the Thessalonians on three consecutive Sabbaths, as told in Acts chapter 17, he would probably have gone back at this point in Psalm 147, verse 15, drawn out this teaching. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Now you begin to think about the way in which God even used the Apostle Paul. And God's word ran swiftly with him as he moved from setting to setting. For example, at first in Acts chapter 17, you will find him initially ministering in Thessalonica. But then after that, he moves on into a place known as Berea, where everybody was examining the scriptures to see if what he said was so in accordance with God's word. And furthermore, from there, he would make his way to Athens, which was the intellectual capital of the world at that time. And from there, in Acts chapter 18, he would move to Corinth, which was the commercial capital of the world at that time. And ultimately, he would make his way to Rome, which was the political capital of the world at that time. And what strikes me is that he has this tremendous ability to be able to move around in various settings, whether it be in more of the intellectual settings or more of the commercial settings or more of the political settings. But the constant was he was absolutely committed to communicating the word of God no matter where God placed him. Now, are you in that kind of setting in your own personal life where you're willing to say no matter where God positions me day in, day out, My desire is that the word of God be accelerating through my life, my words, my testimony, so that it has growing and growing influence upon others. Acceleration, certainly not isolation, speed, speed ahead, he said. Now, the Apostle Paul wants you and me then to consider this as we pray for one another that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you at this point. Pray. Carl Henry put it this way, prayer is the one of the means that God has etched into the cosmos for the advancement of his, not mine, not yours, his purposes. Years ago when Warren Wearsby was my pastor at the Moody Church, he told of this, One of the most moving experiences of my life came when I stepped from John Wesley's bedroom in his London home into the little adjacent prayer room. Outside the house was the traffic noise of City Road, but inside that prayer chamber was the holy hush of God. And its only furnishings were a walnut table, which held a Greek New Testament and a candlestick, a small stool and a chair. When he was in London, Wesley entered the room early each morning to pray and to study God's word, which is consistent with how the apostles in the book of Acts describe their involvement in the proliferation of the gospel 
as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer. And when you and I are committed to that kind of acceleration of God's word, great things happen. There's a group of elderly men, and for more than 55 years, these men have been committed Christians. During all these years, they've met regularly to pray and to read the Bible. They risked their lives. And all of the men found their faith in childhood due to the uh, guidance and the leadership of the missionary work. Listen, before World War II, they had a missionary center and a Sunday school where anywhere on a given week from 150 to 500 children heard biblical teachings. And that's where now these elderly men, that's where they first heard the good news of Jesus and responded as now they are sharing the word still with others. God can reach you through the word (coughs) no matter how young, no matter how old. And when we make that a distinctive of our ministry, we understand then that the word of God naturally produces a powerful work of God. But when churches nationwide begin to marginalize the word of God in their worship, before long they've marginalized the work of God and separated from worship. And the result is they become nothing more than religious social agencies rather than committed followers of Christ longing for God's word to impact other people's lives. As well, first prayer request. Have you embraced it? Brought it right into your life situation, the way in which you are praying for one another. That number one, the word of the Lord may speed ahead. Athletic terminology there. Be honored. Cross the finish line. As happened among you, as now the Thessalonians look back over their experience with Paul teaching God's word on those Sabbath days. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17. And now you're pondering and you're thinking. And what about that time when I first was deeply exposed to the word of God and was so transformative in my own personal life experience? Maybe it was here. Maybe it was elsewhere. But now you take that impetus of how it so impacted your life. And now you want to do the same with other people. But you want Christ, and you want God's word to be wrapped together as you consider not only that first prayer request, but the second prayer request that's found in verse 2. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Now notice here that the Apostle Paul is being honest with you and honest with me. I am facing spiritual obstacles in my own personal life. In the advancement of the gospel, there are those that are going to be utterly and are utterly opposed to who I am, what I am doing, and who I represent, Jesus Christ. And the same is true in the ministry that goes forth globally, as well as the ministry that takes place within this church locally. What we've got to do is to take these two requests. The first one, verse 1, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. The second one, Verse 2, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. And so like a, a good sports team, you've got offense, you've got defense, working together here at this point. And when he says, and may be delivered from, he's not offering you a self-help manual as if he's saying, now just pull up your bootstraps and deliver yourself. 
He knows that you and I are facing spiritual challenges, that this is not a playground. This is a battleground that we may be delivered. And you say now, okay, I'm going to take a good hard look at what is happening globally, nationally, regionally, locally. And I've got to be very serious about the realities of life. And so he uses two descriptives here in this second prayer request that has to do with the spread of God's word. The first one, we're dealing with the challenge, the opposition of wicked people. Second of all, he uses the descriptive evil men. Now, when he says evil men, what he is using here at this point is a word that describes those that are simply out of place. In other words, they are very unreasonable about the way in which they go about responding to God's word. They will not examine the evidence. They will raise opposition. They are not Christ-centered. They lack faith. Now, behind them, behind the evil man, is the evil one. And one has got to be able to understand this at this point. And so he's saying, don't just assume that you can battle the spiritual realm of the flesh. This is spiritual warfare that we may be delivered from, (coughs) not we deliver ourselves by. We uh, may be delivered from, number one, the wicked, and number two, evil men. And then he adds this caveat, for not all have faith. And so you've got to bear in mind that even religious people will be in opposition, just as Wycliffe himself found opposition for religious people, in that case the Roman Catholic Church, opposition to the spread of God's word. So you are realistic about what you're dealing with in this world. John Brentz understood that. Now John Brentz was a friend of Luther. And in the midst of the Reformation, the biographer tells us this story. He was being hunted down. And hearing that a troop of Spanish cavalry was on the way to arrest him for spreading the gospel, he simply went to the Lord in prayer. And at once, the biographer tells us, he got guidance from above. Take a loaf of bread, go into the upper town where you find a door open, enter and hide yourself under the roof. And so you and I are told he acted accordingly, found the only open door, hid himself in the loft, and for 14 days he laid there while the search continued for him to thwart the spread of the gospel in Spain. The one loaf of bread would have been insufficient. But day by day, get this, a hen came up to the garret and laid an egg without cackling. On the 15th day, it did not come. But John Brentz then heard the people in the streets say, they are gone at last. And he came out. You take that story and you tie it to verse 2. That we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. 
And what is interesting about that story is that he was being hunted down by religious men. Highly religious, but religious unbelievers who are attempting to thwart the advancement of the word of God. So we look at that, we ponder that, and we understand even more so why it is that God is putting such tremendous emphasis upon his word because it's his word that reveals his son, Jesus Christ. And you see the connection now that's made. If Paul was investing any time in ministering to the people in Thessalonica through the Older Testament, he would have drawn from 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 19. Listen to this. In telling the the Samuel story, and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. If you want to sense the deep, rich, powerful presence of God, invest significant time in the Word of God. They are meant to go together. I read it again. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, the presence of God. And let none of his words the word of God, fall to the ground. So don't let the word of God slip away from your everyday life style. Now you take those two significant prayer requests. The first one, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Verse 1. The second, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Even though they might be religious, as in the case of John Brent's, and now you are praying globally, and you're playing nationally, and you are praying locally, and so on, you tie all this together, and you are being very honest with God as to how he wants to use the word of God to expose you to the deep, richest, powerful experiences of the work of God, because that's the second of the two significant connections as we move from the present to the future, and he seeks future growth for his church globally. Because number two, notice this, by connecting present with future, note furthermore how the work of God is strengthening his people. You see it in verse 3 through verse 5. Now the spread has got to be tied to the strength. And the word of God then produces this impetus with regard to the work of God, and you can't segregate one from the other. And now look what he says here. But the Lord is faithful. Now, you are a student of God's word, and I, uh, I so admire that. And what I want you to do now is to take the beginning of verse 3 where it says, But the Lord is faithful, and draw a line back to the prior phrase, For not all have faith. And you may be saying to yourself, You know, there are those that are made, have made professions of faith in Jesus Christ, but they just don't seem to live out the faith that they professed. They may have a profession of faith, but they lack a possession of faith. They may have a profession of faith, but they lack the possession of faith. It's a counterfeit faith. And if you've ever been let down by those who have made a profession of faith, 
yet lack true possession of faith. What you need to do is to refocus your attention away from those who have claimed faith and place your focus upon the one who is faithful. He won't let you down. Others will. This is the tension between the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. At the end of verse 2, not all have faith. But he counters that at the beginning of verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. What God does in his faithfulness knows this. He draws out for you not one, not two, not three, but four examples of how he is faithful to you, even in the challenging times of life. But the Lord is faithful. The first, he will establish you. Do you see it there? Now what God is doing at this point then is strengthening you. Strengthening you today for the challenges that you might face tomorrow. It's a favorite word of Paul's because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, in fact, Paul used that himself in verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus and with his saints. He did it again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 17. Comfort your hearts, he wrote. Do you see it there? Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Did you notice the connection between work and word? Word and work. It's right there. Just as what Paul is doing now in these five verses. He's drawing that connection. He's saying, now what you've got to do for your own personal sake, you've got to take the responsibility for establishing yourself. And at the same time, here's divine responsibility. In chapter 3, verse 3, he will establish you. Powerful. So now what Paul is doing is he's taking the word of God and he's linking it to the work of God and you need to be able to do the same. When you start marginalizing the word of God from your life, you're marginalizing the work of God through your life. And if you're wondering why God is not using you the way he was in the past, go back and ask yourself the question, and how much time am I investing in the word of God in the present as compared to the past? Because I can't create a disconnect there. He establishes us. Now, there's a second. There's a second way in which God is faithful to you and me. Not only does it say he will establish you, he goes on to say, and God you. So number one, we are established. Number two, we are guarded as he reveals the ways in which he strengthens his people. So when you need that sense of strengthening, now you recognize that God is busy establishing you. God is busy guarding you. And you say, but guarding me against what? And the answer is guarding you against the evil one. And now you're about ready to make still another connection. Because what I want you to do is to take that pencil or whatever again and draw a line from the evil one that's described there at the end of verse 3 back to the phrase, and evil men, in the heart of verse 2. Did you notice that? And that we, in verse 2, may be delivered from wicked and evil men, 
And there you have at the end of verse 3, guard you against the evil one. And now you are pulling all this together. And you're able to say, okay, then behind the message of faith stands the faithful Lord. And to counter that, behind evil men stands the evil one. And there is the tension now in this world in which you and I live in. You've got God on the one hand. And behind this matter of faith is the one who is faithful, your God. But to counterfeit it, behind the evil men stands the evil one. Now, you know what the evil one will try to do? He will try to produce a counterfeit to the way in which God is working in your life, through your life, and create a disconnect between the word of God and the work of God. Take, for example, Peter's experience. Jesus says to him, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That is the word of God. But now, have we just said, don't disconnect the word of God from the work of God? And how the evil one will try to create the disconnect? Later on, really that same chapter, shortly thereafter, from that time in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus began to show his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed a third day, be raised again, very succinct. What does Peter say through the very same lips that confess you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. By the way, never try to pull that one off on your Lord. You're trying to be Lord over your Lord. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Hadn't he just heard the word of God? But he turned and said to Peter, Jesus did, Get behind me, Satan. Now, what is happening here at this point in Peter's experience? The evil one is creating a counterfeit. He took Peter's lips that had confessed, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and created a counterfeit where he pushed back on the whole idea of then having to go to the cross to die for sins. And Jesus caused the bluff of the evil one at this point. In essence, the first go-around, that was of God. Second go-around, this is of the evil one. Be able to distinguish the counterfeits of this world and look for the authenticity of the way in which God has revealed himself. How? Through his word, because the counterfeit will attempt to disconnect the word of God from the work of God, just as he attempted to keep Jesus from going to the cross to die for our sins, using the lips of Peter in the midst of it all. Now, this is the sort of stuff that Paul is equipping you and equipping me to be able to fully comprehend. We've got to deal with the realities of this world and the subtleties of the way in which the evil one will use the evil men to be able to accomplish his purposes, even if they are religious by nature. He says, number one, he will establish you. Number two, he will guard you against whom? The evil one 
It happened in the Battle of Gettysburg. There's a general who reported to Longstreet. You remember him? The commanding officer that he could not bring his men up again for, to fight. And Longstreet answered, and this has got to be sarcastically. You can almost hear it. Quote, very well, never mind then. Just let them stay where they are. The enemy's going to advance, and that'll spare you the trouble, unquote. Now, just as we're talking about the advancement of the word of God to be able to produce the work of God, the evil one will counterfeit it at this point and create his own sense of advancement. He will establish you, number one, guard you. And you say, but guard me against what? Against the evil one. Now, thirdly, in verse 4, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. In other words, we're established. Number two, we are guarded. Number three, we are commanded. This is how God strengthens you. This is how God strengthens me in the midst of the trying times of our lives. You've got to claim these words. You've got to embrace them when you're feeling weak in the days of challenge. God, establish me. God, guard me. God, establish my family. God, guard my family. And then thirdly, you look at the fact that God has commanded you, commanded you to such a degree that you've got to be able to look seriously into the word of God and the commands here. And here's what stands out. In verse 4, and we have confidence in the Lord about you. Notice that he did not say, and we have confidence about you, did he? The Apostle Paul, if he was looking at Gary Highlander, would not say, and I have confidence in you. What he would say is, we have confidence in the Lord about you. Because in and of oneself, we're going to let God down. What we need to be is positioned in the Lord And when we pray for one another, we've got to pray in the Lord for one another. We have confidence in verse 4, in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command, speaking of what God has stated in God's word for God's people. And now you look at this carefully and say, okay, God, how are you strengthening me? In the midst of the trying times I'm finding myself in. How? Number one. We are established. Number two, we are guarded. Number three, we are commanded. And in verse five, number four, we are directed. May the Lord, in verse five, direct your hearts. Now that fascinates me. He doesn't say, and direct your circumstances. He doesn't even say, direct your life. In other words, what you and I have is an inner sphere in which God works, and God works from the inside out. And so what you've got to do, if you are looking for guidance and you're looking for direction in your own personal life right now, you need to be strengthened because you know within your heart your areas of weakness, and maybe you feel weak this morning. God, I'm looking to you, and I need that sense of strengthening. So what I'm going to do, Lord, is I'm going to take these fourfold aspects of your strengthening and embrace them. I need to be established. I need to be guarded. I need, furthermore, to be commanded. And fourthly, I need to be directed. And here's the promise. And may the Lord direct your hearts. And you say, but how? 
to where, to whom, to what. And here's his answer to you in verse 5. There are two twos that you need to be and I need to be directed toward to be highly effective in the world in which you and I live in. Number one, to the love of God. So I go to the cross of Jesus Christ and I say, but God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us and there is the love of God in full display. I need to be drawn back to the cross of Jesus Christ where the word of God is such that's revealing to me the ultimate work of God, the cross of Jesus Christ. And now I'm being strengthened by that. In order to spread the word, I've got to be strengthened in the word. And I'm strengthened in the word how? Verses 3, 4, and 5. How? Number one, I'm established. Number two, I am guided. How? Number three, I'm commanded. How? Number four, I'm directed. Directed where? Direct your hearts. Number one, to the love of God. Number two, to the steadfastness of Christ who simply will not let you down. And now you've got the word of God tied to the work of God. Prior, a couple of decades prior to Warren Wearsby being pastor at Moody Church, Dr. Harry Ironside was pastor. And his biographer tells us that under his mother's guidance, Harry Ironside began to memorize scripture when he was three years old. The word of God that would yield a powerful work of God through him. By age 14, he had read the Bible through 14 times, once per year. By age 14. During the rest of his life, he read the Bible through at least once a year. When Dr. Ironside was at a Bible conference in which he was one of the speakers during the conference, the biographer tells us, the speakers were asked to discuss their approaches publicly to a large number of people regarding their approach to personal devotions. Each man shared what he had read from God's Word that morning. It was a verse, two verses the likes, reflecting on them. And then they got to Ironside. When it was Ironside's turn, he hesitated because he was a humble man, you see. And then he said, quote, I read the book of Isaiah this morning. You see, he was so saturated with the word of God. My prayer is that this church and we as individuals and our entire families, no matter what you're going through in life, we are so saturated with the word of God. We are not surprised in the powerful work of God that flows naturally through this. Remember, a church that marginalizes the word of God in its worship does not see the work of God ultimately through their worship. But when you keep the word of God and the work of God connected together, you can be like a Wycliffe. You can be like a Wycliffe. And Wycliffe was responsible for the very first translation of the entire Bible into the English language. Yet at the same time, there was such powerful pushback against his life. He was threatened not by secular unbelievers, but by religious unbelievers. But at the same time, so powerfully used by God, and God wants to use you. Keep all this together, 
and watch how God works through your life for God's glory. Let's stand together. So, Father, this has been a week of extremes. The highs, of course, of an Easter. The extremes of people coming and going in the heart of spring break. But through it all, what we need is constancy. We need what is there yesterday, today, and forever. So thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for how the Word of God yields the work of God. And I pray now that in each of the lives here, we're going to see the connection, and we're going to pursue tightening that connection so we can minister effectively in the settings you place us in for your glory. And for this, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.